We've seen so far from our series on Hebrews 11 that faith has very much been alive in the hearts of God's people throughout history. Faith is the defining factor of the people of God. However, and this is a big however, that does not mean that there was not a battle to have faith. It does not mean that there was a struggle in this life of faith. Because, as you know from your own life, and I know as well, the road of faith is tough. It's difficult. In fact, I, I, I really believe that for every instance of faith in the lives of the people of the Bible, you could probably give two or three examples of where there was an absence of faith in the lives of God's people. You see, faith is never, the road of faith is never simply a linear or a straight road. It's never just straight ahead in the, the Christian life and in this road that we're on that requires faith. There's, there's so many times twists and turns. And many times we find ourselves going around, what do you call those little loop-de things? Roundabouts. You know, we, we find the roundabouts, and many times it's like, man, we've gone around this roundabout about eight times, and I think maybe we need to, 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 to take that road. The roadway, the pathway of faith is, is never linear. It's never straight. And we really see a shining example of this in our passage today. In Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12, we not only have spotlighted for us faith as evidenced in Abraham, but faith as evidenced in the life of Sarah as well. And we can really take to heart these two verses, verses 11 and 12 this morning, for two reasons. Reason number one, we can be encouraged by what we are going to read today in verses 11 and 12. Reason number one is that we're going to realize today, maybe in a greater way than before, that our faith is never perfect. It's never perfect. That's why, as we are going to close out our series, looking at Jesus, we're going to see in Hebrews 12 too that it is Jesus who's the author and finisher of our faith. We cannot go down this road of faith ourselves. We needed someone else to take out the machete of God's will and perfectly hack a path for us. And not only hack that path, but walk through that path with us to complete the faith that has been started in us. But the second reason we can really be encouraged by this passage that we're going to look at today it's because we're going to see that God uses women in great and mighty ways just as He uses men. Hebrews 11 just, as, just isn't a list of men who exercise great faith. 
We're not going to have time to get to all of the characters in this passage for lack of, of time in our series, but we see not only Sarah, but we see several other women. We see, we see Rahab. We see, um, um, who's the other one here? The, the, uh, the one who, Deborah, thank you. We see other women involved here that are examples of faith. You see, it's easy for women to devalue their roles in Christianity and in the church today, but this should really never be the case. God has has given providentially from the very beginning of Genesis roles to man and to woman. Those roles are complementary roles. They are not roles of competition or roles that one is greater than the other. The problem we have in Christianity today, however, is a devaluing of the roles that God has given us as men or as women. And what we see is a battle that is a result of the curse. What does the curse say? It says, it says uh, specifically to the woman that your desire shall be to your husband. He shall ro- rule over you. You see a clash that man does not take the role he should be taking, and woman is not content with the role she has been given, and there's a clash. But God has given equally important roles to men and women. If you're a woman of Covington Baptist Church, you should not say, well, I'm less important than a man. That I am somehow inferior, that God can't use me like He can use so-and-so, the, the males of this church. No, God has given roles for men to fulfill and for women to fulfill, but God uses men and women equally in complementary fashions. Does that make sense? So today, whether you're a man or you're a woman, we are called to the same thing, to exercise faith. Today we're going to look at the dynamic of faith. What exactly, is, what exactly does faith look like on the ground? In Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 3, where this, uh, this chapter of faith opens, we kind of see a dynamic of faith and how it is, it is described... And today we're going to see what exactly goes on in this life of faith as God seeks to accomplish His purposes in the midst of our faith. And we're going to look at four examples this morning from verses 11 through 12 that unpack for us the dynamic of faith in the Christian life. How does faith operate? What does faith on the ground look like as we are walking step by step, day by day in our Christian life? And the reason that we are doing this is because of the key truth that we find in Hebrews 11. We're going to say this together. I know we don't have uh, Unite Night. In the next, we do have one coming up December 10th, a Christmas Unite Night. Um, so sign up for that. Uh, but, 
But uh, we may not ask this question, but I want us to get this nailed down now. Let's say this together. A faith that testifies is a faith in action. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Father, give us attentive hearts. Give us open ears. Father, help us to have our eyes pointed to, to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. God, would you direct our attention this morning to what exactly comprises faith as we seek to live our Christian life day by day, moment by moment, through valleys and through mountaintops. God, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you awaken us? In Jesus' name, amen. The first principle, and let's read verses 11 through 12 before we even do that. Don read Genesis 18 for us where we, we see an example of Sarah, and then we're going to see here what we what, how the author of Hebrews describes Sarah in verse 11. Look at what it says. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Principle number one in realizing the, the dynamic of faith, what does faith, what comprises faith on the ground level is this that we have to understand that faith expresses itself amidst human weakness. Faith expresses itself amidst human weakness. These are not superheroes of the faith. In fact, even the terminology I get a little bit uncomfortable with when we consider Hebrews 11, we call it, well, what, uh, what is the term? The, the hall of faith. Because we are, we are putting on a pedestal individuals. And that's not what Hebrews chapter 11 is doing. It is not putting Abraham, it is not putting Noah, it is not putting these individuals on pedestals. What it is putting on a pedestal is the faith that was exercised that we are to follow. You see, if we follow the example of Noah, of Abraham, of all of these characters... As we've seen when we go back to the Old Testament, there's a lot of flaws in those guys. They are simply bearing witness to an element that we are to have in our Christian life, and that's faith. And man, the good news about these characters is they all had human flaws and weaknesses. And that's an encouragement to me. Is that an encouragement to you? When you're taking a trip and you're going down the highway... And you see a sign, and, it, and it's one of those uh, rectangular green signs, and it says something like, let's say, we're, we're going to Florida, that, uh, 
this Christmas, and it says, you've been on the road for miles, and all, this, all of a sudden it says something like, Orlando, 50 miles. We're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> what, what are we to take away from that? We're to take away the message of the sign, correct? We're not to analyze the sign and to say, well, boy, that's a freshly painted green sign. Well, did you notice the white lettering on that sign? Or did you notice all the bird droppings on that sign? (laughs) You see, that's how we're to take Hebrews 11. We are taking the message that each signpost gives us. So when we go by that sign, we're not saying, let's think about Abraham. What a great guy he was. No, we are taking the sign, and you know what each sign is pointing to? Keep going. God's promises are true. God's promises are tested. There is coming a day when God's promises will be fully realized. Keep moving by faith. And that is our takeaway. Because if we were to follow these individuals to a T, we would be going down the wrong track. Because first of all, we see the inability of Sarah and Abraham. Did you notice in our text that it says, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. There was absolutely no ability in Abraham or Sarah to accomplish what God promised. And not only that, but Hebrews is emphasizing the faith that they did have in the promises of God. But when we look back to Genesis, we actually see a lack of faith. For instance, Abraham If you have your Bible in Genesis 15, just flip over to Genesis 15. We see in Abraham's example that he questioned God. Genesis 15, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. Look at this promise. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And look at Abraham's response. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, here's Abraham's way of figuring out God's plan for him. Wasn't Abraham doing God a favor? Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So you see here both a backhanded insult to God. You haven't fulfilled your promise yet. And then we see Abraham saying, now let me fix it for you, God. But God very gently and patiently says, this man shall not be your heir. And look how he, how he words this. Your very own son, your beloved son, shall be your heir. He says, no, Abraham, it's going to be exactly as I purposed it. No plan B's. 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This is the way it's going to happen. And look at what Abraham did, however. Look at his heart. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Do you see a perfect faith here? I don't. But what what the author of Hebrews is bringing out when it comes to Abraham's faith is even though his faith was flawed, at the end of the day, guess what happened? He trusted in God's promise. Unless we think that Abraham was perfect after this point, if you just flip over two chapters, you look at Genesis 17. God gives Abraham the command to circumcise his entire household. This is his servants, those who are with him, and also the future children he was to have. And in the midst of this command, in verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Again, there's this up and down. There's this going around the roundabouts, right? There was a lack of faith on Abraham's part. But also on Sarah's part. Sarah's highlighted for us in verse 11. But as we see in Genesis 16, we're not going to take time to read Genesis 16, but that passage we see that not only was Abraham open to giving God some suggestions on how to fulfill his plan, but so was Sarah. And Sarah says to Abraham, take my handmaid, Hagar, marry her, and have relations with her, and the child that she can have because she is young will be our heir. You may think in today's culture, wow, that is horrible. And, and that wasn't right, but that was normal practice back then. Because to go without children was considered terrible. So any way to get a child, this was considered commonplace. It was considered a moral and right option. And Abraham does it. Not only that, but in the passage that Don read today in Genesis 18, we see too that Sarah laughs when God gives the promise. You see, there's a lack of faith. And I don't know about you, but so many times I exercise a lack of faith in the promises of God. That while we look at the signpost and we see the encouragement to keep going, we also look at the signpost and realize that there 
are individuals who have imperfectly persevered in their faith. And we can do the same, not because of our own strength, but because of the very song we sang, He will hold us fast. If we will but not turn away. You see, there was a lack of faith, but there was also complete helplessness. In fact, verse 12 talks about Abraham, and it says that he was as good as dead. (laughs) That's a way to describe somebody, right? (laughs) I probably shouldn't share this. But my my grandfather... (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. Is this... (laughs) You know where... Okay. My grandfather, who, who came from Puerto Rico... And just had a way with words. Oh, man. And uh, Mike, this is along lines of something your dad would say. And, uh, and he, you know, he's, he's, he died at 90, 90 at no, no younger than 94. Um, but he was probably in his 80s at this point, maybe late 70s. And he nudges me one time and says, Adam, you think she a pretty girl? And I was like, yeah, she's pretty. He goes, I may be old, but I'm not dead. <laughs> Well, here it says, I mean, I don't know if he was thinking of the Bible when he said that, but you see the same exact phrase. He was as good as dead. You see, all of God's promises, and this is what is so neat in the example of what God did in Abraham's life, is that all of God's promises to Abraham were humanly impossible to fulfill. Many times we can manufacture things and say like, you know, I've been praying for this and, and wow, this happened. And, and in reality, sometimes we try to manipulate things to look like God did something and it was really our backhandedness. You know, oh, God provided for me this car. I just happened to get in thousands of dollars of debt over it. <laughs> or, or whatever the case may be. These promises that we looked at in Genesis chapter 12 last week could not in any way, shape, or form be self-manufactured. So God promises uh, promises Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would become a great nation. That he would be given offspring. How in the world... As this passage points out, could Abraham and Sarah have a child at their age? How in the world? God says, leave the land that you are currently at, your father's land, and go to a land that I will show you. And he later says, I am going to give you this land that you are currently at. How in the world could Abraham claim a land that was not his own when he was a no doubt had a large, fam- uh, um, a large family with Lot and all of his servants and Abraham and his servants, but yet how in the world could even that number claim a land and say, this is ours? Hey, every- hey all of you city cities, this is my land now. It couldn't be manufactured. How in the world when God says, I will give you a great name, 
How in the world could Abraham have a great name when he was a traveling nobody? No place to call his own. Just traveled around from location to location, trying to dig wells, trying to find fruitful fields for his cattle. God commands Abraham and says, you will be a blessing to the world. How in the world could Abraham bless bless a world that was so far distanced from him? You see, Hebrews uh, Hebrews 11, verse 11 and 12, it presents this lack of a child as the apex of the impossible. Of all the promises God gave, it had to start with the child. For a great nation to, to, to come about, there has to be children and there has to be a land to possess. But even if you have a land, if you have no people, if you have no children, it's impossible. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's saying there was a lack of a child. This was the apex of that which would be impossible to replicate. Without a seed, all of the other promises would fall. Like what one individual says, he says, having so many descendants was a miracle. For Abraham was as good as dead in terms of his ability to produce offspring. God, however, get this, does what is astonishing. And he particularly works what, when it seems as if his promise will not be realized. You may say, Pastor Adam, what's the takeaway from all of this? The takeaway from all of this is this. We each have an apex where faith needs to be placed. We have an apex where faith needs to break through. God allows an apex in our life, a climactic issue, a a climactic thing, a climactic event, whatever it is, that is impossible. Where we hold our hands up and say, God, I don't know what to do. Where we are broken by God. And we have no choice but to say, God, I can't do it. I have to give this to you. And maybe you are not at that apex yet where that breaks you. It took a while for Abraham and Sarah to be broken to the point where they realized we cannot self-manufacture this promise of God. I was just talking with Rachel this past week and I said, you know, it's so interesting that the things that we struggle with the most and the things that even in our lives as we look back at our past, man, that we've always struggled with certain things and it seems like that's the very thing that God, the pattern that God keeps bringing about in our life. Isn't that awkward? And the reason for that is because He is going to put us in the situations where we can actually realize we need Him the most. What is that in your life? 
Maybe there is, there is a relationship that is broken. And man, you've tried to self-manufacture ways to fix that. You've tried to, to bargain with God. You've tried to do all of these things. God kind of waits. He says, are you done trying to manipulate? You done trying to work everything out? Are you ready to let go? Maybe it's a fear that grips your heart as you are a parent. And, and, and you try to be the savior to your kids. And God says, are you done trying to do the job that only I can do? What is the apex of need in your life? Those are the very things that God will providentially and, uh, and lovingly use to be the means that you look to Him in faith. And the interesting is, it seems like in every stage of life, that apex changes. But it's always rooted in the same things. Listen, if, if, if God was to answer your prayer today, if God was to work a miracle and to do the specific thing that is so heavy on your heart and just take away that problem, that issue, whatever it is, guess what would happen? There would be the next one right in its place. Because God has to teach us through those things before he will work. You see, the problem that we have, like the problem that Abraham and Sarah had, is a complete lack of faith that leads to a complete helplessness. And what we often do is we often try on our own ability. Our own ability to accomplish what only God can. The problem of this is pride. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Do you know how we are to cast our anxieties upon Him? By first humbling ourselves. Have you ever wondered why you just can't find that rest that you crave in your spiritual life? Have you ever wondered why you are exhausted at the end of your rope? It's because of that little thing we each have within us, pride that winds up not being so little after all. And as long as we think that we're behind the wheel and we can make things operate, we are not going to be casting those anxieties on Him. The only time you can cast is when you realize how helpless you really are. You see, the problem of humanity is pride But we actually find power in our weakness. You're familiar with 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. 
Paul says, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And what is the conclusion that that Paul comes to from this? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And get this, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, because when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that against our thinking to know that when we are weakest, we are actually at our strongest? Could it possibly be because we are not the ones writing our own story? Could it be that our story is really supposed to be encompassed in God's story? That we're not the one that has to look and make sure that all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted or else somehow calamity is going to come. Somehow we're going to be the most horrible parents. Somehow we're going to, to fail God so we're paralyzed in fear to do anything for Him. Whatever the case may be, could it be that we need to come to the end of ourselves so that we can find Christ? God, or the prophet Isaiah, exhorts the people of Israel in Isaiah 51-2. In the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their self-sufficiency, Isaiah says this, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Isaiah is telling the children of Israel, God has sent you and judged you, sent you into exile, but God is going to do something great again. And look at the inability of Abraham and Sarah to do anything, but that's the very reason that God blessed and multiplied was because He had providentially placed them in a state of weakness so that He could receive the glory. There's no manipulation there. I'll never forget as a kid, uh, myself and my brothers were talking in the car one day and we were just talking about um, different things, uh, serving God and things, and we were like, yeah, I I don't know how God could ever do this or that. Um, in, in our lives. And I'll never forget my dad said, well, that's really good. I'm glad you're thinking that way because maybe God then will be able to do something with you. Because it's not about us. It is about God's story. It is about leaving signposts on the pathway of faith to those who come behind us. Not to exemplify us, but to exemplify our God who is faithful amidst our weaknesses. Faithful amidst our fears. Faithful amidst our pain. And that leads us to the dynamic of faith number two. Number one, faith expresses itself amidst human weakness. Can I get an amen? Number two, faith is always grounded in God. That is why it can be in the context of human weakness. 
Listen, God is the agent of fulfillment. Don read in Genesis 18, right after Sarah laughs, the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Listen, God is the agent of fulfillment, and you know what that means? It means that God is the one that gives the promises, and it means that He is the one that sets the timetable. God is the one, first of all, that gives the promises. So we can't self-manufacture what God is going to do in our life. We can't name and claim things for God. We can't say, oh God, I'm going to speak my faith and then therefore you're going to work and make it happen. No, you hear that on preaching on TV and in many books and that's just, that's manipulating God. He's the one that makes the promises. And therefore, He's the one that sets the timetable. Remember when I said if God would remove that mountain, He would remove that difficulty in our life right away, that what would happen? We would just replace it with another one, and it would just be on to the next problem? Uh, The same principle is here with He sets the timetable. Listen, He could have given Abraham the land right away. He could have said, move, and He moved, And all of a sudden, boom, he strikes all the inhabitants uh, as they were uh, rebellious towards God. We read about the beginnings of that in Genesis 11. They were rebellious against God, and and God strikes down judgment, and he says, all right, Abraham, the land is yours. Could have done it right away. He could have given Abraham and Sarah offspring right away, right? I mean, God gives the promise, and And boom, she's expecting. I mean, can you imagine putting yourself back in that story that Abraham says to Sarah, God has given us this promise, and then they're attempting to fulfill that promise on their own and the discouragement that would bring time after time after time. Many of you know the the, the discouragement um, if, if you struggle with having children. He could have given offspring right away. Yet here's the thing. God is the one that has an ultimate goal and an ultimate plan. You know what the ultimate goal and the ultimate plan is? It's verses 39 to 40 of Hebrews 11. The author writes, And all of these, all of these people, though they were commended or though they gave testimony because of their faith, They did not receive what was promised. Why is that? Because God has provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, we are characters in this story as well. And God's plan was not just to bring a nation to himself. It was not just meant to bring a large group to himself. It was to bring together a massive worldwide people that we could all become partakers of God's promise. 
God's plans are never too early. They are never too late. But boy, is that hard to believe, isn't it? God is the agent of fulfillment, and God's promises, we secondly have to realize, will come to pass. Do you notice what verse 12 says in Hebrews 11? The end of verse 12, that even though verse 11, Sarah had inability to conceive, even though verse 12, uh, Abraham was as good as dead, Yet from them were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What a word picture God gave Abraham. Just the other day, uh, uh, right in Mansfield, we don't get a good look at the sky without lights, but we were traveling and we... uh, Myself and the kids, and we looked up, we got out of the van, and man, you could see the stars everywhere. So many, I mean, you wouldn't even begin, know to be, begin where to count. You'd get lost after 10. Innumerable. What a word picture. The, the grains of sand. Anyone ever try to take apart all the grains and start counting them? You'd look kind of weird on the beach, wouldn't you? There's a reason that God gave these these pictures. And guess what? It came true. Throughout the Bible, there's this repetition of God's promise to give to Abraham children. Genesis 12.2, Genesis 15.5, 17.5 and 6, verse 9, uh, 17, 19, 18, 10, and 14, 22, 17, over and over again. And guess what? It happened and it is happening as more and more individuals come to Christ. Not only that, though, but the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. God was faithful in bringing that to pass. In fact, 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it says all the promises of, of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. That that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. All of these promises were meant to lead us to Christ. Because it is in Christ that we know that we are forever secure That God will provide every need that we could ever imagine. And that because of Christ, we have been joined to Him. And because we have been joined to Him, we now are heirs with Him of all things. That is the climactic moment of God's promise. Is sending His Son the one we celebrate this Christmas season, so that in Christ, everything will find fulfillment. You know what? All of the promises of God's word, you could count hundreds upon hundreds of them if you start in Genesis. Every single one of them finds fulfillment in Jesus. In one person. Can you believe that? 
It's not like a jigsaw puzzle or an Easter egg hunt where you're finding this one over here and then you're looking around and you're finding this one and you say, okay, I got 10 of the promises. I know there was 30 eggs hidden, and, but I got 10 of them. At least 10 is better than nine. No, what God did is he packaged all of his presence, all of his promises in one person so that in Christ we have everything. Amen? Listen, unpacking the gospel in your Christian life, walking down the pathway of faith, it is not getting a better understanding of, well, what are my true needs? And, and well, what's this? What's that? Or how, what does this verse say about my present circumstance? It is about digging into God's word to learn more about Jesus and what he has done for us because he, in his person and in what he did in his work is the embodiment of all of God's promises come to fulfillment in our lives. Without Jesus, there are no promises. So our hope then is in God's promises that are in Christ. And that's why Romans 10.11 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him in who? In Jesus, will not be put to shame. Listen, I can say, I know when Christ is coming, December whatever, 2029, and guess what? I can trust in that so-called promise and I'll be put to shame. I can say that God is going to do this certain thing in my life and say, I believe it with all my heart. I know God is going to heal this, uh, this individual or is going to heal this uh, infirmity that I have or God is going to do this or God is going to do that. And guess what? It may not be God's will and I can be put to shame. But if I put my faith in Jesus every day of my life, the Bible says I will never be put to shame. And you will never be put to shame. Amen? Could it be we have lost track of who we are to be trusting, who we are to be exercising our faith in? So very quickly, dynamic of faith number one. Faith expresses itself amidst human weakness. Amen for that. Number two, faith is always grounded in God. He does the impossible, and it is only Him. And in His plan that he brings Christ. That leads us to principle number three, which is faith has an established end. That's Christ. In Galatians chapter three, Paul picks up on the promises that were given to Abraham in, in Genesis 15 about the promised seed. And, 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 and Paul says, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham was not Isaac. It was not the nation of Israel. It was one offspring. It was Jesus. He is the ultimate fulfillment of what God promised Abraham. Listen, I don't know about you, but empty promises are very frustrating. It's frustrating to 
have someone tell you something and it doesn't happen. It's frustrating to have someone say, yeah, we ought, uh, we ought to do this or, or I'm going to do this for you or I'm going to give you this or whatever and it just never happens. It keeps going and going and going and there's no end and you think, okay, it's an empty promise. But listen, faith has an established end and it's Christ. Faith is meant to point us to Christ, not to things. Faith is meant to deepen our dependence on Christ, not this world system. And faith is meant to drive our passions to Christ and not simply to lesser things. There is coming a day, as Hebrews 11:39-40 makes clear, that all of God's promises will find fulfillment. As Christ returns, and that for which we are persevering, our, our faith becomes sight. And that day is coming, whether we realize it or not. The question is, are we putting our faith in the right thing that emphasizes the beauty of Christ to our lives and to our heart so that we continue persevering and actively serving Awaiting his return as the Bible closes, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews. The whole purpose of chapter 11. To have God's people keep on keeping on and not to turn back. Let's pray.